I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Grosso with the Indie Spirituals Podcast, and I am most excited to have my friend and guest on today, Corey Allen. Corey, thank you so much for joining me. Man, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have fun with you today. Yes, and the keyword will be fun. I'm glad you mentioned (laughs) that. So uh, as I start all shows really quick before we get into this fun conversation. Um, I wanted to read your bio for the listeners, and then we're going to be talking uh, a lot about a new book that you have out that's truly wonderful, and I want to give them a quick about the book as well, and then we're going to hop into the conversation. So, Corey Allen is a podcaster with The Astral Hustle, a very incredible podcast. This is me just uh, interjecting here, but Corey's had me on. Thank you, Corey. Um, I don't listen to many podcasts, to be honest, but yours is definitely one of them. So anyone listening to this, please check out The Astral Hustle. We will have that linked down um, on the Be Here Now website if you're checking this out there, as well as Corey's book. Let me get back to that bio. Meditation teacher and audio engineer. Through his popular online meditation course, Release Into Now, and by Neural Beats for Meditation, he has helped thousands of people learn to meditate with clarity and simplicity. He lives in Austin, Texas. Of course, that's a very abridged uh, bio for Corey. He's accomplished much more than that in his life. Um, so that's why I wanted to read you a quick about the book from his publisher. Corey did not ask me to do this. I just wanted to. From the popular host of The Astral Hustle, an accessible guide to hacking your mind and life to feel more fully present and alive, even if you're not the quote unquote meditation type through his popular podcast the astral hustle and online meditation course released into now Corey allen has helped thousands of people better cope with stress with the stress of daily life through meditation mindfulness and mental clarity with concise advice and profound simplicity he manages to cut through the jargon and speak to people where they are giving them tools to live in quote unquote the wow of the now In this accessible and supportive guide, Alan walks readers through the basics of mindfulness, not as something you should do, 
but as a tool to achieve greater peace of mind. Dial down anxiety and stress and truly feel like yourself. Informed by a lifelong personal journey, as well as insights gathered through his podcast interviews with leaders in mindfulness, neuroscience, and philosophy, Now is the Way is a simple user's manual for living the life you want one present moment at a time. And I couldn't agree more with that. So with all that said, Corey, again, thanks, man, for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It was like, that was kind of like being at my own funeral, like hearing my bio. and then <laughs> <laughs> I love, I'm glad I could start a podcast where someone feels like, you know, they're getting eulogized. That's awesome. <laughs> so here we go on that note. <laughs> um, but, you know, not, not to be um, cliche with this, but I do, I like to start my podcast kind of giving our listeners a bit of background about the guest. Um, you know, you're certainly well known with what you do in your podcast, but there are those who haven't heard of you. And for that, and for myself, just because I love human stories, if you're willing to, if you can tell us a little bit about the Corey Allen story, you know, what was it like for you, uh, whether it was growing up as a kid or as a teenager, uh, what eventually led you to this path that you're on and where you're at in life today, really wherever you would like to go with that to start things off. Yeah, sure thing, man. So um, essentially... I became, I think, interested in thinking about these type of things and in these type of ways um, somewhat by by nature, not yeah. necessarily by nurture whatsoever. You know, neither of my parents were even readers. Yeah. Um, and my parents separated whenever I was really young. There was a lot of um, just, you know, intensity, a lot of trauma, a lot of um, just a negative environment, a lot of conditional love and, you know, uh, emotional manipulation and mm. being um, raised through fear as opposed to through through uh, you know constructive comfort and trust and what have you and um, just living in a, a rather turbulent chaotic environment like that led me to um, becoming very you know calcified um, externally and also given that my you know my brother and I, our father kind of disappeared um, and was only around his convenience. Like it, you know, you feel abandoned and yeah. a lot of resentment and then all of that type of stuff. Um, just a lot of pain, a lot of uh, then there was you know, just a lot of things after that that occurred. And so it led me to feeling um, very uh, angry and resentful. And, uh, you know, because of the environment I was in, I was always having to defend myself and not be able to trust reality. Like I was gaslit constantly as a child, you know, like being just kind of lied to and manipulated all the time. And it really perked up my antenna to see like, okay, it turns out there's more than one reality here. Perhaps there's three or four, like, right. cause I, I know that what I'm being told isn't true because I experienced something, you know, what actually happened. And, um, you know, so you, that's an intellectual way, but then the emotional, you know, stuff on top of that um, made it where there's just a lot of pain. And so I really, by by chance, as a teenager, stumbled into Western philosophy. I overheard someone say the name Nietzsche one time and mm. um, feeling incompatible with, with the rest of the world. You know, I was walking around the bookstore and randomly saw that name on the back of a book and was like, oh, yeah, there's that cool name, you know, and right. I went over. And I remember opening it up and reading it and 
the second I started reading, it was just like a you know stick of dynamite exploded. Um, not only because Nietzsche is amazing, but right. because I was like, oh, this is how I think. This is like, and it's not you know what I think, but it's the math of the way that my conceptual mind understands the world and thought, and that put me into an obsessive period with Western philosophy. And then reading, you know, that led me over to kind of the bridge using some of the hippie philosophers like Terrence McKenna or Robert Anton Wilson or so forth right. have led me to, and also Western philosophers that were influenced by Eastern philosophy, someone um, like Schopenhauer or something like that led me to Eastern philosophy. And when I read that, I was like, Oh wow, this is not only how I think, but this is what I think. This yeah. is what I feel. And, um, so in the 90s, you know, I discovered meditation through books, the old school way, the analog way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same here. <laughs> and, um, really just in my room, I, I figured out that, like, I had this Viktor Frankl moment. Where I was like, all right, mm. no matter what's happening outside of my body, like inside my body, in my mind, in my heart, this is my sanctuary. And I can begin to deconstruct my suffering, understand myself find the tools and, and put in the work to just read as much about, you know, I, I began to understand even the concept of consciousness and began reading psychology and just various neuroscience and even semantics and, right. and all this stuff just to understand my mind as much as I could right. all while weaving Eastern thought into that. And, um, it made it where I had this private safe sanctuary and, um, so through that, uh, I began to realize, and I write about this in the book a little bit, I began yeah. to realize like, wait a second, I'm, I'm different than I was six months ago. Like I'm not as angry. I feel more like comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. And I began to just realize I was, ch I could change myself and that it was possible to use your, not, you know, I don't want to, uh, disavow the notion of the heart, but, but thinking your way into a better reality into a, a better life and, authoring your future and becoming who you want to be regardless of your circumstances. I begin to feel and observe that happening with myself. And once I realized that was possible, it was like off to the races because I thought, why would I ever stop <laughs> with right. this? You know? Um, and so I continued on that inner path for, you know, for several decades and then eventually uh, started my podcast. And what was very interesting is that in the podcast, um, I've always loved having just deep, uh, cool, fun uh, conversations about, uh, you know, human life, human experience and what it means to be alive and how can we do that better. And right. um, I have a lot of cool friends and I thought, well, I'll start this podcast and um, do that. And so as I started just talking about my life experiences, I started getting all this feedback as the show continued to grow from the listeners saying, hey, you know, I'm experiencing that right now, like what you're talking about, what right. you experienced a decade ago. And, um, the way I described it or the way I talked about it, they said that helped me understand it. That helped me get through this thing. And, um, it was a real awakening moment for me because I thought that a lot of these challenges I was facing were just me, yeah. right? They were just right. things. <laughs> Terminally <laughs> unique. Yes. I understand. Right. Yes. Yeah. And I learned that, oh, wow, these are universal right. human things. And, um, that was, a really powerful thing to learn that made me, uh, that was where I really began to get the notion that, all oh, right, it would be good to put this stuff into a, a guide, like share my map of how I got on the other side of yeah. all of those experiences with people. I love that, man. There's so much, I mean, I, I can relate to basically everything you said. Of course, we all have our own unique 
journeys as humans, but I think ours, uh, we share a lot in ours and I think we're pretty similar in age. And, um, I too, like you found it through books. And, uh, for me, it was weird though. Like mine was more, uh, Bukowski and, Mm. but I resonated. I was was very into that Bukowski and and even the Crowley and Burroughs and all those. Sure. Yeah. Thompson. Yeah. Yeah. And I still read all that. And to me, I still find spirituality in that. I'm not saying they were poster boys for like, well living, but (laughs) you know, those were my early connections. And then later on, when I found a lot of the people you mentioned or Kafka or, um, you know, then moving into Ram Das and Ramana mm-hmm. Maharshi and, you know, uh, the, the more mystic teachers from whether it was Eastern or Western philosophy, you know, the Thomas Mertens or the Thich Nhat Hans and mm-hmm. uh, Sri uh, Nisargadatta Maharaj, whomever. Um, it was really beautiful because I found this uh, it wasn't a no, like a thinking, it was a sensing, you know, of a, wow, this is such a universal truth being spoken in its own language. And also with, with a lot of physicists, you know, they're saying today what rishis in India were saying thousands of years ago. <laughs> yeah. I'm a total nerd for shit like that. And I'm like, wow, man, this is really, really exciting. So I think you and I, I just, I dig that we take that similar approach to life. Like it's, it's fascinating and exciting. And of course, also traumatic and terrifying and heartbreaking, but you know, that is the human experience. And part of what you mentioned, you know, like you found this way to make your uh, quality of life better. Um, or or continuing to work towards making it better. Uh, and I think you said it was like around six months you noticed like, wow, there's a difference. And that reminded me, I had uh, the very good fortune to interview David Lynch many years ago, and we were talking about meditation, and, and he said how, uh, you know, I, I didn't notice a shift in myself personally. It wasn't until my wife around the six to eight month mark had mentioned like, you're so much more calm. You're so more like agreeable and you don't get so uh, agitated as easily. And it's really remarkable what practices like that can do. And so, you know, I'm saying that kind of to segue into this book, you know, that you've put together, which first of all, I love the way it's formatted. It's so accessible for literally anybody. Anyone can Mm. pick up this book whether you've never, you know, really read about any of this material or if you've been on the path for years, it doesn't matter. There's so much in this. Um, so again, the name of the book is Now is the Way, An Unconventional Approach to Modern Mindfulness. And as you know, and I'm sure many of this listeners know, mindfulness is like, you know, the hot topic and has been for, you know, the past couple of years. It's always been around, but it's really become, I don't want to use the word trendy, but you know, it's, it's become a big thing and that's not bad. You know, it's, it's important. It's very helpful. It's helped me in my life. Um, but what I would love for you to explain or unpack a little bit is the subtitle, the unconventional approach to modern mindfulness. Why, why, what makes your approach unconventional? Yeah, so basically, you know, a lot of the classics of, you know, the, the books that focus on mindfulness in the sense of waking up to the abundance of now and really, right. um, really taking that ownership and, and uh, connecting with the presence of your experience so that you can guide yourself into, you know, as I put in the book, so that you can respond to your life and, as opposed to just reacting to it exactly. forever. Exactly. Yeah, I say um, the same all, all the time. Yeah. 
a lot of those books, you know, were written 40, 50, 60 years ago, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, they're all amazing. You know, you look at like Ram Dass's book or Alan Watts is a huge inspiration to me or Chogim Trungpa or someone like that. All and, of the above um, here too. Yeah, and even, and I love also as a side note to our connected past and our paths, like I was a total metalhead and I know you, you still are. Oh yeah. I was like, and we'll talk total, about that. Yeah. <laughs> total metalhead when I was younger. Um, and so... Yeah, all of those books are amazing, and I think in the in the the linear history of these ideas being translated to Western culture and then growing, kind of the seeds are planted into our culture and they're re-sprouting again. Um, all of that stuff was all those earlier works. I feel like were really the necessary um, groundbreaking type of works that we we needed as a culture to get that stuff here. But what I do is really talk about it. Uh, in a way that it means to be alive today, because yeah. a lot of those books, the the great books out there, don't really address um, the struggles and the challenges that you know we're facing now. You know, life has changed and evolved so rapidly. It's even in the last five years, oh, it's yeah. just unbelievable. And right. so, you know, one of the one of the quotes I have in the book that really points to that is that. You know, there are still hunter-gatherer tribes in the Amazon rainforest, and Amazon.com will deliver groceries to your front door in two hours. Wow. You know, you can, it just shows how fast technology has just blown by us because it takes uh, – our biological evolution takes so long. Anyway, right. so I really speak to what it means to be alive today, how these things and all of the latest research, the scientific research, you know, of course not in, a, in an overly technical way, but just enough to really help those other points become more clear um, for everyone. That's really with the the modern aspect of the title goes in the unconventional title of uh, part of the subtitle speaks to the fact that I really wanted to make it um, again, being inspired by some of the great teachers I've, I've had or found is taking these big ideas, these complex ideas and artfully collapsing them down into layered, simple things. And you touched on this earlier when if you're saying that someone completely new to this thinking can find it useful or someone who's been into this for a long time can find it useful, um, really making it where at any level there's something there. It's only a matter of how deep you're willing to look at what's there. Right. Um, and then also taking it where it's this conversational thing. You know, a lot of uh, one thing that's really important to me is bu one building a bridge from knowing to doing, you know, like being able to take this stuff. And as you mentioned, the formatting, being able to take it where it's, it's all laid out, but it's not something that you just read and feel good about. It's something you can read and then actually deploy into your life. Yes. Um, but I really am very much into the democratization of information and, you know, personal seeking because I think that we all have our own unique experiences and it's all incredibly valuable and no one is, you know, the quote unquote master of the teacher. And uh, to me, the most potent way to share what you've experienced with someone is to talk to them as a true friend, as an equal. Yes. And that is what I bring to the book. And that makes it, in my opinion, very different is it's like we are sitting down having a, a drink or a cup of coffee or whatever together and just talking like good friends, not like, I'm going to here. Here comes my all of my information. You know, I, I make it very. Uh, it's important to me to to point out how many times I fucked up and how many. You know, what a jerk right, I was right. whenever I was younger. And so, um, to me, that's what why that title uh, made a lot of sense. See, I love that because you said something that I get a lot of feedback on, and that's 
I think what really draws me to you and your work is first of all your your transparency, your vulnerability, your authenticity. Um, I can't tell you how many times since uh, my three books have been published, I've gotten messages uh, that have said, you know, I read your book and I verbatim, it's like what you just said, like, I felt like I was sitting down in a coffee shop with you and having a conversation. And that means the world to me, you know, that there is no pedestal, like I make always make that clear, right? Uh, my, uh, my autobiography, or not autobiography, my, uh, my bio, the very first line, I had to recently change it um, this year very first thing it says is Chris Grosso is not a spiritual teacher you know, cause I'm always like quote is that. And I'm like, no, I'm an experienced sheriff. Nothing yeah. It's like, you know, I think what you're alluding to life is a teacher. We're all teachers. There are of course, wonderful, uh, illumined beings who have walked this path and have taken the time to, you know, give us all of these sign, uh, posts and, uh, you know, leave lamps for us along the way. Yet at the end of the day, I, I really dig what Andrew Harvey says, and he refers to it as the pathless path, path, that which, you know, we undertake on our own. And that's not to say we don't grow and, and learn from others, because of course we do, um, but it's finding that balance. And, um, and I love that you hit on that and you emphasize on that. And he did say something else that uh, I don't, recall you addressing in the book and this is going to stray a little bit because well, like I said we're just going to be organic but I appreciate how you said something about biological evolution and I don't get a chance to discuss that often on the show and I don't know how versed you are in that and if you don't have anything to say to this we'll just move on but I um, am very fascinated with uh, neuroscience like I know you are as well and um, you know, we have our triune brain that's still evolving. Um, humans kind of think like, here we are and, and this is it and we're the best and, and this is all it's going to be. But I remember uh, there's, you know, more people than just Barbara Marks Hubbard who have discussed this, but uh, she was very well respected and continues to be, of course, even after her passing on the regard or in regards to our human and biological evolution even to the point where she said, you know, now this was conjecture, but perhaps at one point the the biological evolution of what is now human will get to a point where it's like a light body, you know, or something of that effect. Again, who knows? But her point was that we are in constant evolution. It's, you know, this is not the end stop right here. Is that something you've like looked into at all or have any thoughts on? Yeah, I think about that all the time. All right. And one of the really important things is that uh, you have something actually in the book I call the evolutionary hangover. Mm -hmm. It's like we are. I love that section. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Um, you know, understanding as far as the the current moment in the past goes, like understanding how the old amygdala brain and, and whatnot. You know, we might think because we live in the in a relatively civil society that we're somewhat on the like we're out of the jungle, but we're so still in the jungle yes. as far as our nervous system goes. Yeah, and it's like you you know the lower brain is the launch pad for higher consciousness, and we can't escape that. You right. know, so what we can do is we can understand it and. I think that seeing how the old animal brain it can is mapping onto the modern world and how we experience the modern world can alleviate a lot of those that suffering and those stressors that come from and that are confusing that come yeah. from our ancient part of our brain. Like for example, 
if someone is um, in working in an office or something and they go in and their boss is like in a mood and they start getting anxious and their palms are sweating. Think, oh man, um, is my are they mad at me? Like my stomach's in a knot. Like what's going on here? I hope yeah. I don't get in trouble. I hope I don't get fired. It's like that's all the old brain stuff going. Hey, uh, that's the the tribe leader and the food giver right. and the shelter giver. And if you mess up, you might be you know cast out from the tribe, and then you'll have a physiological thing to confront as far as starvation or dangers or whatever. But what's crazy is that that's all just like packaged into working in, in an office environment, but we're yeah. still having the same physical response. So being able to like recognize that as we pass through life that we're operating, you know, 50% of our, our brains and our bodies at least are still operating on that level. Right. And, and through understanding it, we can alleviate a lot of that unnecessary suffering and ultimately thrive more in life because once you understand, okay, um, I won't choose fear or allow the fear of this moment to overwhelm me because it's not unknown anymore. Now that it's known, I can optimize the way that I'm you know, thinking, the way that I'm acting, and you'll end up being more effective in your personal and in your professional life. Yeah, so well said, man. And, you know, that reminds me of uh, one of the biggest epiphanies I had uh, several years ago in therapy. And, you know, I was already cognizant of this, you know, triune brain and I'm in recovery uh, from drugs, alcohol, and so much more. But, you know, there are times in life where I went back to these self-defeating behaviors to the point of, like, literally being, like, hooked up to uh, a breathing tube. Um, you know, I've nearly died. And, and it's like I'm talking to my therapist, and I'm like, how? You know, the the neocortex rationally knows much better and he helped me to explain that he's like as counterintuitive as this sounds. While, yes, there are other things you could have been doing, um, and maybe you were digressing in those like meditation, exercise, eating well, all you know, all the obvious things we we can do to be our best selves. Um, he said that, you know, we have these deeply rooted neural pathways, very deeply rooted. And again, as uh as strange as this may sound, that you like going back to alcohol or drugs in that moment was actually an act of compassion, albeit most likely unconsciously. I mean, I was consciously picking it up, but it, on this unconscious level, there's this, you know, it, it was it was linked within my chemistry uh, to alleviate pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. And it's such a strong link. And then when you get back into that place, you are now rooted back in that reptilian brain, your brain stem and cerebellum, and you're operating from that place rather than your neocortex. Like that's completely taken over. And that made sense to me because I can't tell you how many times I've literally held a bottle of alcohol or looked at a line of Coke or whatever and cried, not wanting to drink it or snort it but physically could not stop myself. Mm. Um, so, you know, I just figured that was worth sharing and, and it is interesting, but the, the good news with that is that the more we do these practices, we're creating, as you know, all too well, these new neural pathways and, you know, they become stronger. The old ones are kind of like that trail in the woods that the, the weeds and, and whatever grows over them. If they're not being walked on, um, they're still there. You know, so we have to be careful. And again, I'm saying addiction, drugs and alcohol, but that goes for anybody that struggles with anything. We're human. Like the Buddha said, first noble truth, you take birth, 
<laughs> you're going to experience pain. It's just how That's it is, right. you know? Um, so that, you know, you start out in the book talking about something that I think correlates with all of this. Uh, and you and you talk about anxiety. And I believe that is something that everyone can relate to, of course, to varying degrees. Um, I have had severe anxiety. I've suffered uh, from severe panic attacks. My fiance, who's doing much better now, but lived much of her life debilitated by anxiety, couldn't drive, couldn't fly. Um, It it was awful. Now she, like, we just got back from a conference I spoke at at Phoenix, and she flew with me there, and she flew with me to a conference I did in Colorado last year. And, like, she's doing these things, but prior to that, she literally couldn't even drive a car on the highway, let alone Mm -hmm. drive a car to start with. So can you talk about anxiety um, and, you know, your understanding of it, the way you address it in the book and, and what we can do to begin to work with that? Yeah, certainly. Um, I think that for me that the cultivation of that negative space is a great thing that calms down anxiety because, you know, anxiety is ultimately speaking of our biological inheritance. It's yeah. a protection mechanism. You know, it's like and that's the kind of the tricky thing about it is that because of just what we get, you know, in our genetic makeup or, of course, traumatic experiences can create fresh anxiety. But sure, you know, people are often born with this level of anxiety because, you know, j- since all of our brains grow in a different shape, you know, as far as uh, kind of what emphasis we have, some people are just wired to be much more aware of their surroundings like think of a of a squirrel while it's eating you know the way it's looking around it's got some serious anxiety versus a you know uh an elk or something that's just standing there completely placid like chewing on a branch or whatever right um and so some of us have squirrel energy some of us have elk energy um and so for the ones that are born with some squirrel energy uh, the best thing to do, in my opinion, the best way to work with that is to uh, through trying to reset some of those neural pathways, as you're talking about. And right. um, meditation, I think, is so incredibly useful. Uh, and of course, also being being smart about what you're putting in your body. To, mm-hmm. do, do, are you taking stimulants, you know, coffee, any of those things that are fueling your anxiety? Um, blasting out some hardcore exercise, like wearing yourself out, because Whenever you really wear yourself out, it shakes off a lot of that ancient uh, animal anxiety and what have you. Um, but I think that being able to, the, you know, through meditation, being able to get a little bit of space, being able to catch your breath and calm down and reconnect a little bit and get out of that that uh, that ruminating racing mind, slow things down a little bit. Um, you can then begin to, in my experience, understand your anxiety and realize that, um, and this works for perhaps people who are more wired for logic because that's the way I am. Sure. Um, same. Yeah. Just being able to then understand what, why you're feeling anxiety, (laughs) what the circumstances are and for, and what the reason is like, what's the big picture? Like, so for a good example, this works for me. I know it won't work for everyone, but, um, I, I never had problems with flying. And then one day, for whatever reason, I actually know the reason, but um, in, in my mid-20s or something, I got in uh, like impossibly terrified of flying. Yeah. And it was really because I finally 
turned a corner and started feeling value for my life and I didn't want it to go away. I became terrified of like losing my life because it finally meant something to me. Wow. And so I would get where even talking about booking a flight, I would just like diarrhea, you know, like sure. terror. Yeah. Um, and I started wondering, I was like, what is going on here? You know, and then I, I figured out what it was, but, um, of course, continuing my meditation and then just putting it in context, putting the actual experience in context and thinking through it a little bit, I began to think, okay, so if I'm on a plane and I get on there and I'm scared and the, and this happened to me. <laughs> and then the next row of seats over, there is a young woman who is sleeping before we even take off, right? Yeah. Then the plane turns around. We start to take off. I'm white knuckling it and sweating, stomach's churning. She's still sleeping. Then we're going. We level off. And I feel a little bit more comfortable during the, the, the coasting period of the flight. And then when we go in for a landing, I'm starting to get a little nervous again. Right. She's still sleeping. And then we land. And just... I had this light bulb moment of like, wait a second, like our experiences physically were the exact same. We were in the same plane. Right. We took off. Everything was fine. We landed. It was all good. But the difference in our first person narrative experiences of those was completely my own projecting and hypothesizing of like what could happen. Yes. And that was the thing that was causing so much suffering within me. But what's crazy is like our me and that that young woman who was completely cool. As, I mean, she was sleeping. Like our fates, you know, existentially were the exact same. Whatever sure. was going to happen with that flight, but it was all about the fact I was allowing my imagination to create these stories, and I was telling myself these stories of what could happen, and recognizing that okay, I'm just telling myself stories right now, and I need to you know reconnect, reel myself into the breath, understand that what I'm imagining is not true, it's just uh, a hypothetical, that really allowed me to zoom back out and and gain some uh, perspective and, and let go a lot of that that anxiety to where now I, I love flying again and, and it's no problem. Yeah, same here. I, I used to, uh, I don't know that it was debilitating, but I was terrified of flying. I remember there was a time I was sitting in uh, an airport and this is, I don't know, probably 15 years ago, and I think it was definitely a Thich Nhat Hanh book. I don't know if it was Living Buddha, Living Christ, or... Uh, yeah, no, that was the one. And there's a point where he's talking about... And I'm sitting literally in the terminal waiting to board the plane, uh, where he says, like, even if I were flying in a plane right now and the plane were to crash, I would simply close my eyes and go into my breath repeating something. I don't remember if it's... You know, he has many, like, very famous, uh, simple uh, mantras, but something like... I have arrived, I am home, I have arrived, I am home. And I remember thinking like, really, man? Because like, <laughs> I would be screaming and like freaking out. And But you know, like Thich Nhat Hanh has been one of those teachers that's just been uh, very influential in my life because his work is so, again, easily accessible like yours and so practical. And, uh, and I'm sure he's helped with my fear of flying as well. And I fly all the time and just like you, I enjoy it as well. So, you know, it's great. And, um, again, same with my fiance, she's done therapy. She's done, uh, like tra trauma based therapies and, um, things that have literally like, you know, shifted all of this for her. So I know there's a number of means and methods and not everything works for everyone. Um, 
so you know that's why i love like and your show and mine where we have so many diverse diverse guests on where we can explore these things from various uh, vantage points so mm-hmm. thanks for sharing that man oh of course and that's that's really wonderful to hear that your fiance is finding some relief with her anxiety you know it yeah it's, it, it, and if you map that over to life just kind of that same type of discomfort that we're talking about yeah um, a big thing for me that was really useful just to really meditate on for a while, it was you know, a couple of years I think I s- sat with this, is just trying to accept what is. Yeah. And that sounds simple, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but to just in your body, like in this, it, you know, grows from what you mentioned Thich Nhat Hanh was talking about, just trying to accept what is. Um, and... There's a great, I think, uh, there's a practice I put in the book that's uh, called floating in space, which is a great way to begin to feel this feeling is by just laying down, you know, perhaps before you go to bed, taking breaths in, and then every time you exhale, relax all the muscles in your body as much as you can, and take another inhale, and as you exhale, relax them a little further, and make it like a game for yourself to see how much you can let go and, and let the nuanced muscles and all the tension in your body relax. And, you know, if you do that for 10, 15, 20 minutes, you really can feel this, a taste of what Thich Nhat Hanh was talking about. Right. And I, and I appreciate you do that in the book and you, you know, it's one thing to talk about these topics, but actually giving um, tools for people to work with, which you do, I find uh, very helpful. One of the big things for me that was helpful was, and I don't remember where I first heard this. You you hear it with a lot of teachers now, but you know, just recognizing that our physical and emotional experience in the moment, like you were just saying, it is what it is. Uh, however, our thoughts when we when we start thinking about that and and we start fearing or dreading or oh my god this is awful or you know whatever the case may be that just i use the metaphor of a pinwheel you know we're just blowing mm-hmm. into that pinwheel making it worse and worse and i teach a a variation of a 578 yogic practice i just use 446 but it's super simple you know you just mm-hmm. you breathe in for 4 you hold for 4 you exhale through your mouth for 6 Stop for a second, start it all over. You do it, you know, counting one, 1,000, et cetera. You don't rush it. And why I love that is it's taking you out of your mind, out of those thoughts, because you're focusing on the breath. You're focusing on the sensation of the, you know, the belly expanding and retracting. So you have that. And then the scientific part of it is that it's shown that anytime you're exhaling longer than you inhale for a certain amount of time, you know, different for everyone, but as long as you're continuing to do that, you're naturally going to relax yourself. Mm -hmm. So there's just another quick like little thing. Um, But again, there's so many different ways to, to go about this, but anxiety is the worst that and, and depression, you know, two things (laughs) that I wouldn't wish on anyone. Um, Yeah. Yeah. What's your, what's your experience with that? You know, I never experienced depression because I thought that I, or I, I didn't think I ever experienced it until I realized that, I was really depressed for my entire life. (laughs) 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 One day I was like, oh, wait a second. (laughs) Um, And what's interesting is that I, uh, the dichotomy of, I think the way way I'm wired or have grown is that I've always been very, I felt that depression, that underlying sadness uh, and general kind of skepticism right next to that traveling next to that I've always had this relentless curiosity and like 
un like just this inexhaustible tenacity for optimism. So it's a strange combo of feeling this thing of like, I know it can get better. I just have to figure it out. I have to like crack the code, but I was too numb to my emotions to understand that what I was trying to get better and feel better over was that dull ache of depression for most of my life. And, um, I'm very grateful that now that only comes in, I think, in that rather natural waves where, um, I'll get a dose of, you know, perhaps a a week or something or four days of that just deep nerve ending, rotting feeling depression. And whatever I do, you know, I just try and sit with it. Okay. Like this sucks right now. And this is like a a big old exhale, you know, (laughs) and I'm going to be breathing back in, you know, the season is going to change here shortly. And and what we can do is just take it back to basics, show up for the people in your life, make sure and take care of yourself and, and all that stuff and just feel it. And I usually end up like learning a lot. I, it's a good for me. It's those moments of depression become pretty humbling because, um, for even, you know, someone like yourself too, I imagine you can get on these whenever you're, you know, the, the head of your own pirate ship professionally, um, you can get on these interesting like waves of like riding these long highs of like, I get a lot of fuel personally from, you know, people like you meeting awesome people, having great conversations, connecting with people, kind of always looking for that next fun thing to like, uh, get into. And that gives me a lot of energy and you can ride those highs for a long time. But then naturally, whenever there's a, a, a period of quietness uh, of, of that kind of tapering down, yeah, you're like, you, it falls off, you know, you start feeling that like, oh, wait a second, like now things have been going so well and I've been rising for so long now that I'm just simply staying this on this a plateau. Now I feel like I'm failing or something like mm. that. And that then that that it's a prime time for that depression to swing back around again, you know? Yeah, so really, man, it's so well said. I actually experienced it last week. And fortunately for me, like my anxiety, it does not come often. Um, But I found myself in a funk for a good like solid three days, maybe four days last week. And, you know, I've gotten to the the place in my life where like you talk about in your book, um, you're able to live um, not from a reactionary place, regardless of your outer life circumstances or your emotional being. You know, you have more control over steering your own ship, so to speak. Um, so, you know, while I'm feeling like garbage and I not garbage, but depressed and down and lethargic and, um, you know, it just it's not fun. I don't mm-hmm. like feeling like that. I've been dealing with a lot of health issues and you know, no answers and tests and blah, blah, blah. And like, I'm still in the middle of like trying to figure some things out physically. And, um, you know, so it's been frustrating and it finally hit me. And there's this lyric from, um, uh, the, this band suicidal tendencies who I absolutely love, still love to this day. And, uh, their singer Mike says, um, yeah, maybe I do feel like shit, but I'd rather feel like shit than be full of shit. You know? and, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, man, like, Absolutely. Like I, I got to be real about it. And I said to my fiance, I think on Friday, um, I'm like, you know, babe, I was thinking about it earlier while you were at work and I was here, you know, cause being a writer and whatnot, I do most of my work from home. Um, I was thinking about, it, I'm like, man, I would not want to be around me if I were you, you know, like I'm not mean to her in any way. Like I'm not unpleasant. I'm just in this dull 
like drab mood and I've told her you know I made it very clear this has nothing to do with you and she knows that beyond a shadow of a doubt like you know she knows that I love her and she's a wonderful person hence why I asked her to marry me but I'm just like you know I'm in this funk and uh and I've got to honor it you know I'm not like feeding into it but I'm also you know I know better than to suppress it or pretend like it's not there and I'm just being with it, but it'll pass. Like you said, the season change. And, uh, and over the weekend I, I saw my therapist and basically just like verbally vomited all over her office, like getting all of this out on Thursday. And she's like, Chris, you need to take this weekend, do as little work as you humanly possibly can and take time for yourself. And, and overall I, I, I did. And I noticed a difference today. And you know, because as you know, and you talk about, I believe in your book, and um, we know how important self-care is, period. But also those of us in this field often can neglect ourselves and our well-being. And I'm not speaking mm-hmm. on your behalf. I'm, no, no I'm, it's I'm true. I'm <laughs> definitely speaking on mine because, yeah, like I run myself ragged. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Do you, do you find that happens with you as well? And, and I guess kind of because something you talk about, and maybe we can segue into this, uh that I really appreciate you addressing in the book is creating good habits. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something we all try to do. Sometimes they stick. If we're lucky, often it's not long before we find like we've given up on them. So mm-hmm. um, if you can talk about not just creating them, but how can we do that in a way that they will stick and, and really be, you know, life changers for us. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I'm, I'm glad you're feeling better. So let's start with that. Well, thank uh, you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Me too. Uh, for my fiance, if not anyone else. Uh, but yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's so easy. I, and this is I totally uh, to what you're saying uh, before that. Like, I totally find myself in the same position because whenever you're doing what you love for a yes. living, yeah. there's no, there's you, you don't want to stop. Right. And so you keep doing it, keep doing it, keep, keep doing it. And I, you know, I, I feel like I, uh, have this like live wire of energy coming up from the source going into my chest. And I just have like an explosive thing where I just keep going, going, going. Cause I, I just get so charged up and just, uh, even though I know I'm, I sound externally, I sound very, very calm, but inside yeah. I just feel like amped and like so much energy and I want to put it all in. And then I'll be like, why do I feel, uh, like I, I'll wake up and I'll tell my wife sometimes, but I feel like I got hit by an 18 wheeler last night. Like oh, what is going on? <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, right. I've been like, like in the flow state for 10 hours a day for the last six weeks. Right. I should probably like chill for a few days. Um, and so moving on to the good habits thing is that, yeah, setting yourself up for success is everything. And it took me forever to figure that out. You know, yeah. like I just threw, you know, we don't learn this stuff a lot of times I and mean, most of us aren't treated to understanding nutrition or rest or taking care of yourself or, right. or whatever. And I spent most of my life just, you know, growing up in Austin, you know, eating Tex-Mex and drinking coffee and whiskey and eating, you know, whatever I wanted and not ever thinking about, uh, what, whatever. And then as I got a little older and I started really feeling the effects of that, mm. um, and then I met some, you know, people, some kind of people came into my life that, that knew a lot more about nutrition and, and talking to them, I thought, well, I'm going to try and like optimize my, my diet a little bit and see if I can feel, if, if I feel better, you know, and, and I did and I thought, Oh, wait a second. Wow. Okay. I'm going to really pay attention to what I'm eating. I'm going to pay attention to 
exercise and, you know, my meditation practice was already good and, you know, limiting, you know, alcohol and things like that. And, you know, getting the right supplements, getting the right, you know, all that stuff to really feel the best that I could. And as I started doing that, I started realizing like, oh, wait a second. And even eliminating like the content I was putting in my brain, like Mm -hmm. listening to super aggressive like rap all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, I found like, oh, yeah, that's why I feel edgy is because I'm listening to like, (laughs) you know, super aggressive rap all the time. Um, So just paying attention to all that stuff, I really felt a huge shift in the clarity of my mind and my energy levels and my level of positivity and and optimism and just my life force in in general became much more potent. And um, by creating those good habits, and, and that's just eating well, you know, most of the time in the morning, making sure you're getting some, you know, your vitamins or your supplements or whatever, some green superfood in the morning, not, you know, loading yourself up with carbs, not drinking too much coffee, just having a good scaffolding for your day really will set you up so that you can be the most effective and also feel the best. Um, I think a way to, it's very important. I think for anyone that isn't that doesn't have any good routine or any habits that they've built into their life at all, it's important to first off just lower the stakes. You know that's one of the I think the reasons why people want to do something, try, feel discouraged, and then stop is because they put way too much pressure on themselves. And instead of taking one step, they try and leap, you know, to six months from now, and accomplishing anything is taking one little step every single day, but just being consistent and doing it over time. So even in something as, you know, cultivating a sense of your presence, because any of those moments that any of us have had, like those incredible, like bliss moments where you feel all is right in the world, you feel completely dialed in the conduits of all things connecting, connecting the self-organizing nature of our entire universe are all perfectly in accord and we just feel wonderful, like that feeling, it's all around us all the time, right? right. Oh, yeah. It's just a matter of, of dialing our attention and tapping back into it. And so much of that feeling is a result of being deeply in tuned with your presence, with your actual experience of your mind, your body, and your soul in this moment in life right now. And so to begin to feel and experience a taste of that presence through the creation of a good habit I suggest one of your morning, you know, things that you do as a part of your ritual, which you're already doing. And that can be something as like taking a shower, brushing your teeth, having a cup of coffee, eating your breakfast, you know, petting your dog or whatever, you know, kissing your partner whenever you wake up uh, on the forehead, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, Taking that moment that you're already doing and just deciding that's going to be whenever you draw your attention fully to that moment. So, I love coffee. One of the th- the example I use in the book is like every morning when you're having your coffee, don't just like make it and then drink it on the way to work or while you're looking at your phone and not even thinking about it or something like that. Take that minute that you're already spending anyway yeah. and really just allow yourself to enjoy, feel every moment of that experience, you know, feel the the warm liquid running across your tongue and all the flavors and the vapors going into the back of your nose and your blood vessels and your head dilating and your stomach warming and just everything shifting and changing and just really tap into that. And that 
gives you it's like this blueprint for the rest of your day it, it taps you in and helps you self remember that presence and the abundance of what you're experiencing in that moment and it sets this um this kind of uh starting point for the rest of your day so i think that to me like building those moments into your life and and whenever i mentioned something like brushing your teeth like it's a far out experience if you <laughs> actually experience it, you know, <laughs> right? Or, or showering is like amazing, like feeling the warm water, like rolling all of your body and like the, the purification and the purging that comes from the revitalization of that. Like all of these things are incredible experiences that they're like these gifts, but it's just the gift of attention that you, you know, it's all you need to be able to really revitalize yourself and pull yourself back into this moment of life as opposed to living in this chain reaction of thinking about the future. Yeah. Living on autopilot, essentially. Yeah, I exactly. love the way you say that. Like you're right. Like something as simple as washing your hands, if you're actually present for it, it's, it's beautiful. And if you have the scented soap and you, you actually are smelling it consciously, like it's, something that simple man it's far out it really right and that's like a hippie but like it's it's cool life is really amazing just stepping outside and if you happen to have you know the ability to be in nature or get to nature and just looking and, and trying to calm the mind and just you know being there and and feeling the energy because obviously the earth is a very alive organism i mean it doesn't need us. We need it. Um, but, you know, just sensing into that is uh, that in and of itself, really every everyday things, listening to music, but not mm -hmm. just listening, like embodying what you're taking in. And so I guess that leads us to where we'll end this conversation because we're running short on time. And I know you and I are both big time music lovers and um, you know, I'm in two bands. I know you're doing a lot with your binaural beats and I have used not yours, but I've used others that have helped me immensely in meditation practice. Um, I've heard people say, Oh, that's like cheating. And it's like, what? No, if it helps someone, <laughs> it helps them, you know? So, you know, that's, that's just their business. So right. let's start with really quick. I know that one of the things I've talked to a lot of people about, and I do a lot of work with younger people, uh, teenagers in a youth mental health and healing facility, they have a very jaded uh, viewpoint of quote unquote spirituality because there is still the stigma lingering that, you know, you need to look a certain way or sound a certain way or listen to this or, you know, do that or you can't do this or can't do that. And, you know, I say to them, I'm like, look at me, you know, I've written three books on the topic. Um, I wouldn't consider myself any more or any less spiritual than anyone else. Uh, recognizing spirituality is just a word. I know you mentioned like aggressive uh, rap or hip hop. Um, yesterday was Easy's 55th birthday and I had uh, a long drive to make and I spent the day listening to NWA, you know, in respect nice. to him. And, and I still do like, I play in two different bands. One's very indie, like indie rock, uh, more, you know, DC sounding for anyone who mm -hmm. knows what that is. The other is very like doomy and sludgy. And, mm. uh, and I also do a Kirtan, um, project and I find a very cathartic and spiritual connection with all of them. For me, subject or yeah subjectively there's there's no difference it's all very spiritual to me i i find that like capital s spirit or whatever you care to call it 
for in my experience, imbues all things at all times. It's just a matter of am I I quote unquote I uh speaking I guess non dualistically, but laying Chris aside, is this vessel open to be there and allow it in? And something I've written about and talked about to death on this show is like I year, uh, a few years back, I was at a Slayer concert and I was covering it for my website, had photo passes, was up front, you know, photographing the flames. And, you know, here's Slayer, like this crazy satanic band and blah, blah, blah. And I remember like just using Ram Dass's I Am Loving Awareness meditation while I'm there and still enjoying the music because I love Slayer to this day. And I got to a point where Chris was laid aside and I looked at the flames and Carrie King's amps that were set (laughs) up in an upside down cross. And then I Uh look at the audience going insane and literally at a Slayer concert, I had this completely non-dualistic experience. And that's kind of contradictory to say non-dual and experience, but I'm using the English language here, but it was just, it was an experience of quite literally loving awareness. Like Ram Dass says, you start doing the mantra, then the mantra does you and anything that enters your presence is loving awareness. And uh, granted, sure, there are circumstances that are, that are horrific that, you know, I, I don't know could fall into that category, but that's an example I like to use. So all that said, I'd love to hear what shifted for you um, because I'm, you know, about 20 years into this. And I always tell people, if you feel moved to stop listening to something, of course, listen to your inner guidance. But if someone tells you to stop listening to something and it doesn't resonate for you, no, like just be you, do you. Mm -hmm. Like Ram Dass says, the spiritual journey is highly individualized. It's not true that anyone should follow any particular path specifically. That's not verbatim, but to that effect. So I, I leave the floor to you. Good, sir. Well, <laughs> firstly, I love the way you described all that. And I think Tom Mariah is a Catholic, didn't that? Yeah, didn't he, that, he is. Say? That's the funny <laughs> Which is thing. Funny. Like, yeah, some of like, I know it's Slayer's only him and Carrie King now, but like the original Slayer, like a few of them were Christian. So yeah, it's an act, just like Alice yeah. Cooper, born <laughs> yeah. again Christian, but he's out there, you know, like doing his shtick. So it's entertainment. Mm-hmm. So whatever. Yeah. But, yeah. I feel like, man, I, like yourself, have always had such a deep, deep, connection with music and and a true you know i would say spiritual as opposed to what you know everything is spiritual in life you know it's all source flowing through everything right um but the way that source comes through music for me is particularly palpable and and moving um and so yes i've used music uh i wonder if you feel this way like i've always used it as like a medicine you know from the time i was very young, you know, oh, yes. 12, 12 years old. It's like, it, I yes. dictated the way I felt like I almost like Bulby, like attachment, like I auto-regulated or like co-regulated my, <laughs> my reality with music my entire life. Um, 100%, yes, that's, that's almost like a book in itself, but anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, uh, in, in metal for me, whenever I was younger, uh, I don't really listen to metal anymore. Not, and it's not because I don't like it. Um, I just, man, I was so crazily deep into it, uh, yeah. that, and I was always trying to find that edge. And I think that, 
of complexity and like maximalism. And so for me in the, you know, late nineties, very early two thousands after like cryptopsy kind of hit their peak. Sure. I was like, okay, I don't know where you can really go from here from, from there to like the kind of brain drill core where it's necrophagist or something where it's like a drum machine and a guy just doing like sweet picking right. over it. And it's like, all right, well, I think that's sort of just chewing. We're chewing gum at this point. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I found a lot of like ecstatic experience within metal because really, and this was an insight that flipped me over from being obsessed with maximalism to becoming very obsessed with minimalism Yeah, was that like in, uh, you know, metal music, it becomes ecstatic because the entire sound image and the palette and of resonance is full. Yeah. And it's through that fullness that you reach peak like vibrational resonance. Mm. And if you can experience that, you know, in the way that you did, it becomes just the same as a drone, like in a kirtan or something like that. It, it's right. like a giant harmonium in yes. tempura or something. Um, and so one day I was like, um, I was listening to, to that and I, I uh, realized like, oh, wait a second. Like I read a book by Robert Irwin called uh, Seeing is, the, is Forgetting the, the Name of the Thing One Sees, which is an amazing book. It was very inspiring to me. Cool. Um, and he, he's a kind of a first generation American minimalist visual artist. And he talked about how um, he was, you know, do, kind of experimenting and doing a lot of stuff. But then he begins to talk about the energetic resonance visually. Like if you put if you have like a Rembrandt, that's a rich, nuanced, deep, complex painting of you know something rather realistic. But if you have a white canvas with a single red dot on it, like the energetic return to the eyeball, like that that single dot amongst all the whiteness has is infinitely more potent than the richness and depth, uh, any singular color on the richness and depth uh, of a Rembrandt canvas. Yeah. Uh, now, I'm not saying that the Rembrandt is less impactful. I'm saying that the individual color is becomes more electrified in the act of minimalism. Sure, yeah, yeah. That turned me into being interested in minimalism uh, and minimalist music, and that's and I, then I found a lot of that ecstatic experience through minimalism, and that led me to you know drone music. Have you ever heard of Alien Radig before? No, I'm not familiar. She's a French composer from the kind of 50s, 60s. Um, she, uh, yeah, she uses like a an ARP 2500, which wow, is like yeah. a synthesizer. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. And so she's like a Buddhist. She's like an old school Buddhist before it was really became popularized right and she does these long like hour-long drone pieces with the synthesizer where the tonal shifts like literally shift over the course of 20 minutes and she basically just uses her finger and will turn like one or two knobs over the course of 20 minutes and it's just this crazy level of wow. like minimalist meditation anyway um point is is that Yes, I have found immense benefit in transcendence through music. And I think that the most like just night as day, you know, almost cessation experience I had at, at a live music show uh, like you had at this the Slayer concert was I saw Ravi Shankar and Anushka Shankar, his daughter, play Wonderful. together. Yeah. And it was so crazy, man, because uh big fan of indian music yep. and whenever i uh was was there um they were you know jamming out getting deep and doing their thing and then this probably you know an hour into the concert or something like that 
Ravi Shankar started pulling this move where um, he would like he they're all jamming. You know, he's a much more, of course, free flowing kind of like uh, almost like he's the the poet when it comes to playing. Sure, and, and yeah. Anushka is like the she's like a Glenn Gould. You know, she's like this precisionist, like amazing technical performer so it's this beautiful dynamic of them playing but then ravi would like he would bust into this thing where he would play this like ecstatic sort of um progression of notes on his sitar and then like have this like dopey look on his face and start swinging his head from side to side and it would every time he would do that I, i would feel the whole audience it was very clear like you would get it was like he was blowing the candle out. Like you would yeah. get like almost like you were putting into like a dream state. And I remember looking around and like the people in the audience, some of them were asleep. Like they were fall. It, it was like, sure. Like putting people to sleep. It was crazy. Like I've never experienced anything like that musically since. And like he would move away from that and they would go off in other directions. He would come back, do the dopey face head swinging thing and play this particular resonance. And it was just like, he was blasting, you with these cosmic waves that were it didn't matter if you were a beginner or a seasoned you know experiencer of this thing it was just this you know life is life to some extent right you eat you drink a cup of coffee you're gonna feel the caffeine you know it's kind of the same type of thing that's incredible man i love that and i too am a fan i'm you know being a musician i'm I love all kinds of music. So Slayer is just an example I use because like, you know, it's like most people are like, what? But you know, that's an extreme example. Uh, But yes, I love like drone stuff. That was a great point you made. I listen to bands uh, called uh, like Neurosis or an old band called Isis, not the terrorist Mm -hmm. group. But you know, like these songs that are like 10 minutes of repetitive cyclic, like, you know, intentionally so uh, written songs. So they will put you into this kind of trance, like meditative state. Um, even the new tool record, like mm-hmm. seven songs, 88 minutes. Like <laughs> that's incredible, man. Like, um, so I think there's something to be said for, for all genres, hip hop, especially me being a nineties. I mean, I grew up in the eighties, but nineties as a teenager. So to me, that was, and still is the golden era of like Tribe yeah. Called Quest and Day sure. La, Far Side. Like, and that to me is like, you know, they're talking about something and mm-hmm. the beats literally are flowing through you and you can't not listen to that and have your body like just react, you know, it's just that energy flowing through you which is beautiful definitely man definitely and to me free jazz is i'm a huge like sure that's kind of one of my uh cornerstones of what i listen to yeah um because again it's just it's the cosmic equation of like spontaneous order and improvisation they're literally like mapping out the chaos of nature yes but then musically they're creating structures which are in my opinion the most realized and um you know something even like a cult like a live coltrane even the later like sure. classic quartet yeah. stuff before even before he got super free yeah um there's like it, it's the f- like most fully realized connect connective communication of instrumentation and musicality happening together that i i can discover you know yeah. in in music yeah. But and then someone like Alice Coltrane, if anyone listening is not mm. hip to her music, yeah. she's one of my favorite musicians of all time. John yep. Coltrane's wife. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, absolutely incredible. And also, I just want to give you some psychic high fives here. <laughs> saw Neurosis open for Pantera on their Through Silver and Blood tour. Best tour I saw them on that tour too, not with Pantera, but that's my favorite record. That's what I meant. S- saw Suicidal Tendencies in '94 yeah. opening for Metallica. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Saw so ISIS, I think ISIS and Mastodon back in the day, or High yeah. on Fire, one of those. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so but. you know, yeah. I see. I I still listen to all that stuff. One of the two bands I mentioned is very much in that vein. Um, so, but again, it's like even though it's heavy and sludgy, it's for me, it's very spiritual, very like meditative, and uh, mm-hmm. and I love it. So, you know, we've we've run over on time, which I am. I'm glad. Uh, I love when I I don't love. I hate that we have to end this conversation, but I love when the conversation is so naturally flowing that we could just obviously go on for hours, which means, Definitely. my friend, we're just going to have to have you back on the show uh, soon and right. and have fun talking about whatever. But I would be remiss if I did not reiterate the new book that uh, it is out now, correct, Corey? I remember they sent the early version, but it's available now. September 24th. Sorry, yeah, September, that's, okay. Yeah. So coming up, Now is the Way an Unconventional Approach to Modern Mindfulness is put out by uh, Tarcher uh, Peregrine, Part Penguin. Um, you have a lovely foreword by Aubrey Marcus. Some really kind endorsements from people that uh, Shinzen Young, our mutual friend Damien Eccles. Uh, you know, it's just, it's a great book. Uh, J.P. Sears, uh, I saw you were on his show. He's a long time. Friend. Love that guy to death. He's so, the best. Oh, yeah. Such a great dude. So um, for anyone listening, all you need to do to find the book, to find Corey's website, to find Corey's podcast, scroll down on the page, on the Be Here Now Network page. All of that will be linked right there. So it's just a click away. Uh, Corey, I can't thank you enough, man, not only for being on the show, but for being you, for doing what you do in the world. Um you know, I, uh, it makes me happy knowing that there's Corey Allen's out there. And so for that, man, <laughs> sincerely, like, I thank you. Hey, right back at you, man. I thank thank you so much for having me on the show. I, I really appreciate it. And, uh, I'm grateful to know you and just get to share this time and the conversation and the, and the connection, man. Yeah. Right on brother. And we will talk again soon.